Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 209. This week, Carl and I talk about developer gear at CES 2019. We also talk about travel gear, including the best noise-canceling headphones. Twitter moves 300 petabytes to the cloud. And Jason analyzes the Backblaze data so you know which drive to buy. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. Carl, we got lots to talk about. So what do we have for the comment of the week? So the First comment that we have this week comes with uh, from Ivan uh, Gavriliuk. Um, hopefully, I didn't murder that too bad. Uh, he reached out to us on Twitter and said, "Hey guys, I listened to your show and was excited to hear Mark Fussell. He's my hero. I even wrote a course on Mesh, although it's still in tech preview. So he actually has a Plural Site course for Service Fabric Mesh, and that is absolutely super cool." Uh, that you have uh, some deep technical content on uh, a service that's not even generally available yet, and that and that takes so much work to make a course. Oh, especially like that. for Plural Site, they demand yeah. such high quality. Exactly. Um. Yeah. So uh, there'll be a link to it in the show. Good luck with uh, your, your course listening, uh, mm-hmm. Ivan. Uh, also, we have a bonus uh, comment this week. Uh, also from uh, Twitter, uh, coming from Andres Kurzen. He said, a good start for a Monday morning. Uh, and then he actually has a link from another tweet that has the full song that our intro is taken from. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, thanks, MS Dev Show, for getting me onto this. And yes, we listen to you in South Africa. No, wait, the whole interverse. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I know one of the things that we've been absolutely humbled by for um, the nearly five years we've been doing this is just the worldwide coverage of where everybody's from uh small islands in the middle of nowhere show up on our on our little reports that we have and it's and it's really cool uh not only just seeing where you guys are all from but hearing comments from everybody too um definitely get them into us and if you want to get mentioned on the show like andres and ivan uh, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com and comment on our website or Twitter. And we especially love those five-star iTunes reviews. Awesome. And shout out to South Africa. Anybody listening from there, that's super cool. Okay, so let's jump into the news. We got some interesting stories here. The first one here is from uh, uh, you know our old friend Rich Turner um, on the Windows command line. Yeah, and, and this is a blog post talking about essentially like – how Windows is getting Unicode and emoji support and stuff like that into uh, the Windows shell and the Windows console and command line. Uh, and kind of like the technical problems that they ran into, like why they couldn't support that for a while and what they're doing to properly do it. And they get like nitty gritty. Like, first of all, this blog post gets like a background on like what's ASCII, what's Unicode, mm-hmm. w- you know, what is all that differences. And then it gets into like, they don't go into like the full code, but they show like a code diagram. Like here's the different classes that make up some of the code in the console. And like some of the changes that they have to add just to detect when something could be coming from Unicode, Unicode and adding that extra uh, storage mapping in there to properly display uh, Unicode ending. Mm-hmm. 
end. Uh, I, I thought this was really cool. This is way too deep to kind of like glance over and not give, uh, you know, do, do something at the high level. So if this is something you're kind of interested in, um, go to the show notes, check it out. Um, it is in the preview builds right now, or actually it came out in October, 2018 build 1809. So mm-hmm. you actually have this buffer or this extra buffer in there that allows Unicode support. Um, so I think that's really cool. Yeah. And, and just sort of reading between the lines here too, um, <laughs> between the command lines, I guess he, he was, um, sort of hinting at uh, the fact that this is going to enable, this is really the found laying the foundation for a whole bunch of future stuff that will go into the, to the command line, which is really exciting. Uh, but yeah, this whole series is, is really fascinating. So uh, definitely check that out. Okay. Yeah. The, yeah go ahead. I was going to say some of the, the problems that they have going forward is uh, like this, this will do some basic support for getting like emoji ready, but mm-hmm. emoji is a lot more complicated than just, you know, providing a, a character set in the Unicode for it. You have mm-hmm. to have font support for that and fallback fonts and stuff like that. So it, it's actually a, a really good, interesting um, understanding. Like why do you sometimes get really good uh, like emoji support on some platforms and not others? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so let's move on. Uh, the Backblaze hard drive stats for 2018 report is out, and every year we like to talk about this because I always find this fascinating. And it's really similar to you know what they've published every other year. It just has the uh, you know the data for how many hard drives they have in production, as well as what the annualized failure rate is. Um, one thing that I did this year that uh, I kind of wish that they would just do this for us is I went out. I actually searched on Newegg because I found it to be a little bit more consistent because, you know, there's not different sellers out there. Well, maybe there is on Newegg, but they, I didn't, end, whenever I searched for one of these hard drives, I didn't get like 50 different, you know, variants or sellers of this thing. So I went on Newegg and I grabbed the price uh, for, for each of these models and they range from four terabytes up to, um, Toshiba apparently has a 14 terabyte drive that you can buy. That's insane. Yeah. So I just created like a quick spreadsheet and, and, and I, you know, all of their data you can download as a CSV. So I, I opened it up in Excel and I basically just added a price column in there. And then I, I, I did a uh, cost per terabyte column. Um, cause this, I think this is what's important to people. So the one that was the best, uh, the cheapest per uh, terabyte was the Seagate uh, 10 terabyte model. Um, out of uh, 1,210 drives, they've only had four failures of that. So that ends up, they end up getting a uh, annualized failure, failure rate of a third of a percent. Um, so like I said, uh, $31 uh, per terabyte. Some of the other drives in the same vicinity are like 32, 34. Um, there is another one that is 31, which is the HGST, um, but it's, you know, smaller capacity. Um, so there's, you know, about, about half of these drives are actually pretty inexpensive. Um, there is, um, there is the Seagate, uh, let's see here, four terabyte, which is 90 bucks, um, which is really an outlier here, but the annualized failure rate is over 2%. So I did add an additional column to figure out, I kind of wanted to factor in the annualized failure rate. And I did some really weird formula. I think I just multiplied the failure rate, which is um, not the percentage, but basically if it was like, if it was 1%, I basically multiplied it by one. If it was 2%, I multiplied by two, um, you know, cause I figure like every percent of this is like a, a major, major deal. Right. And then I figured out the, that, that allowed me to figure out the adjusted cost 
And the the clear winner in this was the Seagate 10 terabyte drive because again um, they've had almost no failures and it's three hundred and ten dollars for ten terabytes which is a phenomenal deal. Um, I would say the s- number two, uh, which comes in pretty close, which actually has a higher higher failure rate, it is the HGST. Uh, so they were. They were more per terabyte. They were $34 per terabyte, and they had a higher failure rate. It was um, basically half of a percent. So um, I don't know. I, this, I, I guess if you're going to buy a drive and you, you need a whole bunch of space, my recommendation would be the Seagate 10 terabyte drive, which is surprising, honestly, because in past years, like Seagate has had some, they've had a couple models that had the worst reliability, um, but they've, they've somehow they have uh, turned that around in, in pretty short order. Yeah, I think some of the things that for me were interesting were kind of looking at the three different years side by side mm-hmm. and seeing like as a whole, if you just take everything across everything they've purchased, uh, the failure rates have gone down uh, considerably year over year. Yeah. So yeah. it started off in 2016 with 1.95% uh, failure rate. And this year, two years later, it's down to 1.25%. Right. right. So no matter what you buy – Statistically speaking, it's probably going to be more reliable. I mean, these these capacities are just blowing my mind. I mean, ten terabytes for three hundred ten bucks. I mean, that is it. it that is so. And it's it, a name brand. It's right, not like it's right. like yeah, you've never yeah. heard of. It's not a really. It's not. It's really not a one off, right? So, I mean, it is very conceivable to spend six hundred twenty dollars. You buy two of these things and even do. Um, you know, either like a copy process or put them into like a RAID 1 array and you now have 10 terabytes of redundant storage <laughs> locally. Um, that's just mind-boggling. And the Toshiba drive, by the way, um, if you're wondering how much that costs, it's $700. So it costs more than double for only four terabytes more. So it, that was um, that was actually one of the worst um, as far as cost per terabyte. Actually, the worst one was the Seagate 6 terabyte, which was $333. <laughs> I don't know why... I think it, oh, I think it was because it's, that's basically like a discontinued model. So the prices have been going up, but, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, don't buy their six terabyte, buy their 10 terabyte because it costs less money and it fails, uh, you know, basically a third less. (laughs) So, um, so we'll, we'll, I'll grab a screenshot of the, uh, the spreadsheet and we'll include that in, in the, uh, the show notes so that people can, if they want to make buying decisions. I mean, think about how much code you can store in 10 terabytes. Um, so speaking of storage, Twitter moves 300 petabytes of data to the cloud. That's a lot of data. Yeah, that's, it's hard to imagine (laughs) that much data. Although I have, I have been in the Azure data centers and had somebody like, I, you know, luckily I can't remember specifics, so I can't really break any rules here, but like, you know, they pointed, they pointed to like a couple servers and they're like, you know, I can't remember again what it was, but they're like, that's a hundred petabytes. And then it was like a row of, of, you know, like modules like that. And it's like, oh my God, this is like, you know, lots of petabytes, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, I, I just think it's interesting to see, you know, somebody move this much data and kind of some of the effort that goes into it. So the the link that this uh, article is at doesn't have a ton of detail, but it says that, uh, you know, Twitter's looking to start like a hybrid approach to to having some cloud, some on-prem instead of being entirely in their own data centers. Mm-hmm. And when you when you look at people that are companies that have that much data, a lot of times they just err to the side of, hey, we just have to own this all because it's going to be a pain to move. Well, mm-hmm. I, you know, Twitter here showed like, hey, 300 
petabytes, yeah, pain or not pain, it's possible. Yeah. Yeah, it is, yeah, it is interesting because like the, the, you know, the opposite example, right, is Dropbox. Like they, they started out in AWS and they were like, hey, we think we can do it cheaper. And I guess they haven't really had an update. I mean, I, they probably don't want to publicly say whether or not that was a, a bad decision. Um, but, you know, they went the other direction, which is sort of understandable. I mean, the only companies, I mean, this, this is my opinion, obviously, but the only, I mean, there's like, there's probably, if you take like the top, I don't know, 50 websites, let's say, or the 50, you know, the, the 50 largest workloads. Um, sure. Those, those might be big enough to start to potentially, if you have the right expertise, make sense on prem, but you know, anything outside of that, I, I, I just think it's really a stretch, especially if you're writing something new. I understand like if you have to migrate something like this is pretty wild that Twitter sees an advantage to this and they are, they are, they are willing to like eat that, you know, cost of, of migrating it, that it's that big of a advantage for them. Yeah. Uh, the only, you know, people who are public enough about why they haven't moved to the cloud that I can think of is Stack Overflow. Mm-hmm. I know Nick Craver does periodic updates saying that, you know, be- because of uh, how much data that they're processing, not even that they have much data, but how much that they're processing and, and delivering to people constantly and how they've optimized things, mm-hmm. said uh, it would be too expensive to run the equivalent services in a cloud. Not that they're opposed to the cloud. It's just ha- they don't have the return for that for them running at their scale. But once again, they're in that top 50 websites. Yeah, and they're not really designed, and, and this could be misinformation, so I, I apologize if this is. But, I mean, I don't think they're really in a position to scale out. You know, they've they've primarily counted on scaling up and having their service, and I'm talking about Stack Overflow. I mean, they, they've counted on their service being, you know, they're, they're, they have heavily optimized so that they can run on fairly minimal hard, you know, quote unquote, minimal hardware um, relative to, you know, the size and the popularity of their website. They are really similar uh, to Twitter in the fact that um, it's very read heavy, right? I mean, yep. um, it's, you know, just like on Twitter, like how often do you tweet versus how often do you see a tweet? You know, it's probably like a hundred to one ratio or maybe even probably even greater than that, right? 500 to one ratio. And, um, you know, even for, for stack overflow, cause they're showing up in search results, they're popping up all the time. So that's, um, that's a, uh, you know, that really, that really helps with that whole strategy. Any other comments? Move on. Yep. Okay. So I've, uh, you know, I, I've, I've always wanted every, all, everything that I own to be a little bit smarter. So how do we make the mouse smarter, Carl? Let's just shove a whole computer in there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so what's the deal with this atrocity? So th- this is definitely a one-off. This is not something you can buy. I think it was 3D printed. Uh, but there is a mouse that has its own computer inside of itself that it's controlling the mouse for. It also has a flip-up, I think, uh, 1.5-inch screen um, on the front of it, as well as a slide out keyboard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Which is and sideways it's all by the way. built into the mouse. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not ergonomic. I mean, the keyboard comes out sideways, but it, it is cool. Yeah. How the, how the whole thing folds up into a mouse. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, this might be interesting to, uh, on an airplane or something where you just don't have any space. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. 
Oh, uh, you know, uh, the, you, you, the reason I'm laughing, I mean, once you see like the, the animated video here on the website, I mean, this thing is, it's really like the weirdest thing you've ever seen. So if you pull this thing out on a flight, um, you're, you're not going to get any peace and quiet on the flight. Like you're going to have everybody asking you what the heck that thing is and what's going on. Yeah. And, and it's definitely not practical, but it is really cool considering that this is something that's built on a Raspberry Pi Zero. Yeah. Which is super tiny. And the fact that you ha- have all these pieces and they are working together cohesively. It may not be elegant or ergonomic in any way, shape, or form, <laughs> but it, it's a really cool, fun project to just pull off and say, hey, I engineered this. Yeah. Well, and it shows you like how easy it is to, to take a tiny computer and just put it anywhere. Um, that's, that's always uh, a little mind blowing. Okay, uh, what do we got here? Oh, so Panos Panay reacting to uh, a coach throwing a surface during a game. Yeah, so I, I was watching uh, the American AFC football championships, and one of the coaches, uh, after a play, uh, was hanging onto a surface, upset. He just kind of chucked it on the ground, actually picked it up, and then threw it again. <laughs> and and as I was happened to doing, I was also watching Twitter, and like, a minute later, Panos Panay responded with the embedded video of the coach doing this <laughs> and says, incredible game happening right now, but don't worry for the Surface Pro. We quality test for this exact scenario. It's fine. Yeah. And they so. do. They do. There there was a video. I think we talked about it on the show. Like, it must have been like two years ago. There, the, you know, the like the testing process. Like, there are machines that sit there and drop these things continuously. Uh, I think Panos, wasn't he the one that was like, he put wheels on one and was using it as a skateboard? Oh, that was Joe Belfiore. Oh, Joe Belfiore w- was doing that. Yeah. Um, these things are incredibly tough. I mean, they, they have... Uh, you know, Apple is always afraid to like sort of put little buffer zones in their devices so that they can they can be a little bit more impact resistant. But with the uh, Surface devices, like they, I think they have, you know, it's a bigger device and they they don't mind doing that a little bit more. So they are in incredibly um, resilient. And the other thing is, um, I you know, I just watched the little clip. It looks like it was in a case as well. I mean, I would be I would be shocked if this thing was broken at all. Um, I mean, I, I, cause you know, throwing that thing on grass with a case, um, I think you'd be really hard pressed to break this thing. What do you think? What's your verdict? Yeah. I, I think it was probably absolutely fine. Just like Panos yeah. mentioned. Um, I, I'll, you know, I have several surface devices and they're all, uh, they're just very high build quality and they feel just very resilient. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So I have a whole bunch of, um, legacy WinForm applications and I want to migrate those over to the web. What do you think is the easiest way, Carl? Boom, done. WebAssembly. <laughs> I don't have to do anything? Nothing. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, you joke about that, but I, I believe, yeah, I heard some statistic, and this was, you know, maybe a year or so ago, mm-hmm. that for in Visual Studio, they, you know, they take usage uh, statistics on how people are using it. And for desktop applications, the number one usage uh, technology in, in use today is WinForms. So mm-hmm. if you're doing a desktop application, chances are you're doing it in WinForms in Visual Studio today. And if you want to get that exact code um, running on a website, there's this really cool um, project. They have some samples. Now, granted, uh, these take a little bit to load. So if you see the loading thing, it looks like nothing's going on. It, it's all happening under this uh, yeah, screen. Yeah, just go, go grab a drink and come back. Yeah, especially if you're on an iPhone, those take uh, a lot longer. 
but uh, they've got a few samples of things uh, like a, like a calculator app and you know a few other controls that are going on. It shows like an old school window on like a like a, a green blue green background, mm-hmm. and it definitely looks very Windforms ish. It works. <laughs> so there you go. They, they, there's no need for us developers anymore. And and WinForms, I'm going to defend WinForms for a second. Like, man, it, it was kind of like VB6. Whenever you know, you would just you would just drag and drop your controls, and uh, like it it worked and it was easy. Um, it didn't work good for like scaling or high res or anything like that. Like, there's obvious reasons why new things came out, but uh, but dang, it was it was good. The only thing that I really liked that was better was uh, Adobe Flex. The way that they did designing, I thought was was fantastic. But you know, that's a whole different story. Um, okay, so let's let's jump into some of the main content here. So we had a couple topics that we were gonna we were gonna talk about. One thing that uh, that I was gonna talk about was kind of a travel tech update. So I'm actually traveling right now. I'm out in Redmond. I'm actually in the uh, the ultra soundproof booth. So hopefully, I sound really amazing. Um, this was, this was set up, I think originally for, uh, for, for windows and uh, not windows weekly. What was the show? Windows developer, windows show. developer show with, with uh, the louder milks. Yep. With those guys. And I actually saw Travis, uh, yesterday in the hall real quick. So, um, shout out to those guys. Um, but, um, they use it for like voiceovers and stuff like that now. But, uh, yeah, so I'm in that soundproof room, but anyway, I wanted to give a, give an update on some of my, uh, traveling tech. So one thing was, and I, I don't remember exactly how much I covered on previous show, but um, I picked up some noise canceling headphones because I know you had gotten the Surface headphones. And here's sort of the, the history of this. I, um, I've i tried noise canceling headphones before and, um, you know, for I think for a number of reasons, they they made me like dizzy and sick and, and it was just within seconds, it was just a horrible experience for me and it would like really affect me. Um, so you were like, Hey, try out these surface headphones. And I put them on and I had like that pressure feeling. Um, but you know, I wasn't like getting sick or anything. And then, um, (laughs) I don't know why I never thought to do this before, but I actually played some music, um, instead of just silence. And, uh, that made actually all the difference in the world. Um, it actually made it way more comfortable for me. So I started doing a little bit of headphone research and um, I started looking at the there's basically three main players in the space right now. There's Sony um, and their current gen is the XM3. Um, and then there's Bose um, and then there's the Surface headphones. And that was in no particular order. And and I did a lot of research. I watched a lot of videos, but the general consensus seems to be that Sony has the best uh, noise canceling headphones or the noise, best noise canceling tech. Um, the Surface headphones are in a close second. And I would say because the, the Sony's are considered the best, um, they really don't go on sale. Like they're, it's really hard to find a deal on them. So with the exception, yep. so we mentioned that the XM3 is the current one. Yeah. The XM2 was the previous generation. And right. those were considered kind of head to head, even with Bose. Yeah. And if you find those out now, because the XM3s are out, you can find those at about half price. Yeah. So I, I've actually talked to a few people that were like, Hey, I really like, you know, I really want noise canceling. I'm a little bit price conscious, but I still want the premium. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll steer them towards the XM2 because you can find those at about a 50% discount. Yeah. I would also take a look at the current gen bows, which are, they, they are, they are the clear loser in like the current, you know, crop of, of current gen headphones. They were, they were the, the leader in the last gen, but they're they're you know, they've, they've like really lost their edge. Um, I think because of that, 
I've seen a lot of like killer sales on those, you know, it's like a hundred bucks off. Um, so you can get those for maybe a little bit over $200. Uh, whereas the Sony's are the regular price is $350. Uh, the surface headphones are also 350, correct? Yes. Okay. But again, those, you know, you'll see sales on those. So here's my overall advice. So first, I, I guess I would say if, if, if com- the, the only advantage Bose has right now is comfort. Um, they, they are, they, they seem to be the most comfortable and they sort of, you know, put the less, the, the least amount of like, um, force on your head. Um, and they did seem the, the lightest to me, but, um, unless that is like by far your number one factor, I would just count those out unless, unless you are looking for a really good deal. Um, the surface headphones, like I said, I think are a close second to the Sony's. If you see those on sale, I think those are a fine choice, uh, you know, an absolutely great choice and feature that, that was really cool that you showed me was you could, you could turn up and down the, the noise cancellation with a little dial, or I should say a big dial on the side by turning that. Um, and then, like I said, the, the, the number one, but the most expensive are the Sony XM threes. And that's what I picked up. Um, so they were expensive, but they're good. So I also have the XM2s, mm-hmm. and, I, and I've done a little bit of comparison back and forth. Okay. And um, so I, I would say noise canceling and sound quality, they're about equal with the Surface. Okay. And But where they beat out is that they have some gestures on them that are just amazing and work well every time. So yeah. you, the play pause, it always works. Um, they have this cool feature where if you put the palm up on one side, yep. it actually kind of like temporarily stops everything so you could like uh talk to an air- airplane attendant yeah or and, else. and it boosts the voices right so you i you know yep. I, I tried that like on the plane it was pretty wild you know i couldn't hear anything i put my hand over it and all of a sudden it's like boosting all the voices around me <laughs> yeah and, and the problem with the gestures on the surface is because it's only one tap where the sony's have two taps yeah you can accidentally like set it off when you're doing mm, non non things so, like i've had it where i've been like laying with them and I turn my head a bit, and some for some reason, like it picks up like w- like the pillow or the headrest or whatever I'm on, yeah. and that'll like play or pause the music, and that that's just a little bit annoying. It and Sony gets around that just by changing what the gestures are. Yeah, and then the other interesting thing about the Sony is that that actually baffled me at first. I didn't understand how the feature worked. Um, they they have different modes in there, you know, and it and it was funny because like I was wearing them and always say sitting. And, and then it would have some settings and I'm like, okay, like, why are you detecting that I'm sitting? Like, what's the difference? And then I actually got up and I walked on, you know, I walked uh, to the restroom on the, on the plane and all of a sudden I could hear stuff around me and I opened up the app and sure enough, what, basically what that feature is trying to do, it, it determines if you're sitting, walking, whatever. And every single one of those modes you can set to a different uh, setting. So basically when you're sitting, you can you know, have maximum noise cancellation. And then whenever you're walking, you can dial that down and turn up the ambient sound, uh, which I think is a cool feature. And, and what's that, what that's really uh, good for. And in fact, necessary is, you know, you're not really supposed to be using these kind of headphones. Like if you're going to be walking down the side of a road or something, mm-hmm. but for your example, where you're standing up going to maybe like the restroom on an air airplane yeah. that g- makes you more aware of your surroundings. So exactly. you're, you're less, you know, like sucked into your, your tunnel vision. So you can tell what's going on. Um, you know, that would also be good if you're, 
uh, working around the house. I've used my noise canceling headphones while using power tools and stuff like that. But you know, if I turn all that off and still have my headphones on, if I'm if I'm moving, that's you know, I want to be a little bit more aware of like, hey, I'm carrying this long piece of wood. Am I going to smack someone with it? Yeah, no, that's that's a great point using it with uh, power tools and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so these. Um, you know, I, so I tried them on the flight. It was about four hours and I was watching movies with them and I still had that, you know, pressure effect whenever, if I would like pause the movie, um, you know, so that was a little frustrating. I don't know why that bothers me so much, but, uh, while I have, uh, the movies playing, it was, it was wonderful. And I did feel really good after the flight. Like, I think there's, there are massive advantages. And actually what was interesting about it too, is, I mean, it was cutting out that noise so well that, that when I took them off, it was so disorienting because I could not believe how loud that plane was. Um, you know, I know planes are loud, but you know, you would just sort of get used to it if you're not wearing noise canceling headphones. And I'd always use like noise isolating headphones, but I mean, man, this just really showed me the contrast and how loud it actually is. And in, 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 you know, four hours of that, that can't be good for your ears. So, or more, yeah. I, I recently took a, a, a trip to Europe where it was eight hours each way. Yeah. And, um, I got off that plane feeling very comfortable where I've had flights where I've, before I got the noise canceling headphones that were only an hour, hour and a half. And I just felt drained. Yeah. It's, I, it's amazing what noise does to your body when it's long term. Yeah. I have a 14 hour flight coming up. So I'm <laughs> now, now you're, now you know why I'm like $350. Like if these are the best, yes, it's happening. Well, um, and I, then, I had, I, I recently had a conversation with somebody exactly about this and he's like really $300 for headphones. I'm like, until you experience it, it's really hard to understand why. But when you come off that plane feeling just as good as when you went on, mm-hmm. you will, you will make that a mandatory purchase. Yeah. And to be clear, like anybody listening, I mean, if you don't want to spend 350 bucks, uh, like Carl said, get the XM twos. I mean, they're, it's last year's model and they're good. There's nothing wrong with them or get the bows. Those are heavily discounted and they're more comfortable. Um, and if you see a deal in the, the surface headphones, get those. I mean, that's, there's lots of options here. Yeah. And, and there's even, you know, the, this is the top tier of noise canceling. Uh, you know, the second tier down isn't, much worse yeah and it would have a very similar effect yeah so if you are price conscious you know find what the amazon basics version is yeah i talked to one guy he said he just bought like some super cheap crap off of amazon and he's like he's like it's pretty good it's you know he's like it's it's good enough he's like if they break i can get another pair so yeah definitely consider those as well um and then i wanted to follow up with a story or you know basically something that we talked about a topic that we talked about on the last episode which is using this anchor power brick. Um, so again, now that I'm traveling, I get to, I get to try this thing out. So, um, you know, if you didn't, if you just to get everybody, uh, you know, kind of refreshed in their mind about what I'm talking about here, I'm using an anchor, uh, you know, essentially like a USB, uh, power hub. Um, so you plug that into the wall and then I bought a whole bunch of short cables. So I actually have, I'm looking at it right now. So I have a USB C cable, that's a USB-A to USB-C cable sticking out. I have an Apple Watch charger cable, and then I have a lightning cable coming out. Uh, but you could also have micro USB coming out of this. But with those connectors, I'm able to charge all of my stuff. And then it has a USB power delivery port as well. And that's actually what's powering my laptop right now. So the the, the big experiment on this trip was, um, can I use that power delivery port, which puts out 30 watts of power? Can I get away with using that instead of my laptop power brick? 
because then I don't have to bring a laptop power adapter at all. And I would say the verdict is still out. Um, you know, whenever I'm recording the podcast here, we started the show, I had 39% battery. Um, and I unplugged into this thing. I have 38 now because <laughs> 30 watts on a 15 inch MacBook Pro is not much. Like if I start doing video encoding or anything like that, my power, you know, my battery is going to start dropping. Um, so this thing is like able to keep up, I would say for normal business trips, like doing email and things like that. Um, so I think whenever I take my, my longer trip, I, I think I can get by with just taking this. Um, otherwise I think there are some other options where they can put out more than 30 Watts over the power delivery port, but, uh, I am getting by on this. My only, uh, purchase that I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, make, and I actually already made it. Uh, and I have the, the ca- <laughs> well, I have the cable sh- sitting at home. They are like seven bucks, um, is a short USB C to USB C cable so that I don't need this really long cable. Um, cause these short cables are just awesome because this brick can sit right next to my laptop and I can charge everything right off of this. And I can also put it on the nightstand at the hotel. So yeah, I'm, I'm converted. I'm pretty sure this is, this is the way to go whenever you're traveling. I mean, it's one, essentially one charger to rule them all. Raygun provides full-stack error, crash, and performance monitoring for tech teams. Whether you're a software engineer looking to diagnose and resolve issues with greater speed and accuracy, a product manager drowning in bug reports, or you're just concerned you're losing customers to poor quality online experiences, Raygun can provide you with the answers. Get full-stack error and performance monitoring in one place. The next time you're struggling to replicate errors and performance issues in your code base, think Raygun. Head over to raygun.com. Get up and running within minutes and dramatically improve the online experiences of your users. So you just had me crawling the Anchor website, and I've seen a product that I've never seen before. And I'm just going to have to bring (laughs) this up because it is ridiculous. Yeah. So I I love portable USB batteries, Mm -hmm. and you know I've got like four or five that are all different uh, sizes and configurations. They have a battery that's first of all it's five hundred dollars. (laughs) <laughs> but it can it can output USB USB uh, DC via the like cigarette yeah you know port like you have in cars it can do AC and this thing it can it can power a mini fridge for seven hours it can recharge an iPhone twenty four times yeah. a MacBook six and a half charges <laughs> this thing is just. <laughs> So you want to send me hey, a David, link? Yeah, you want to send me a link to that? It's it's in the show notes. If you oh, okay. put it Are, in there, it, hopefully it's synced by now. They yeah, show yeah. somebody powering a CPAP machine in a tent. Yeah, so those, this is just nuts. It says a four hundred watt hour power supply. So this is this is actually a fairly common device, by the way. And sometimes um, uh, companies will call them uh, generators, which is totally a lie. But they will call them them generators because they expect you to replace a generator with this. Um, this is interesting. You can't. I don't think you can carry this on a plane, right? What is what is the watt hours? Does it say? Yeah, four hundred thirty four. So it's. Oh yeah, you can only do a hundred. Yeah, hundred is but, the limit for carry on. But you know, this is a really interesting device for a lot of other scenarios. I mean, obviously, you're we're not going to travel with this in like the traditional plane way, but like. For you and me, when we use our RVs, you know, this is an interesting uh, scenario if you're not hooked up to power or anything. Yeah. It's interesting. It has like the inverter and everything built in too. And I was just going to look. So 434 watt hours. So at 12 volts, that is uh, 36 amp hours. Um, 
Okay. It's, it's, it's well, a fair amount of power. Yeah. I was just trying to compare it to like an RV battery. Cause you can get lithium ion RV batteries for under a thousand bucks. And those are, those are hundred watt hours, but they don't have, um, the built in inverter and, uh, in power adapters and everything. So I wonder if this is also pure sine wave. Cause that's one thing to, to watch for whenever you buy something like this, uh, for the, for the, um, inverter for the output. Um, ideally you want pure sine wave. Some devices just don't handle non-pure sine wave uh, very well. Wow, this thing is. What would you use this for, Carl? <laughs> camping? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's. I mean they show a few things like, like camping, and then like emer- emergencies, and then they go to humanitarian causes. Yeah, I'm just trying to think as a developer, like you know, if you if you had to, you know, it would be kind of cool. Like if you had to work somewhere fairly remote, like this would be a, this would be a good way to to charge your your stuff. Um, it doesn't have a USB-C port though, does it? No, you'd have to get an adapter. Oh, come on, man. And, and so the, the million dollar question, which I know the answer to, you know, this thing has the four USB-A ports. Um, you know, my laptop has four USB-C ports. Can you go USB-A to USB-C and then plug in multiple cables and combine the charging abilities? The answer is no. no. <laughs> so the Mac, uh, will pick whichever the highest input is. Um, I've done some research into that. Because I always wondered if you could just like take multiples, you know, like I even have like a phone charger. Like, can I plug that in? Um, I can charge my battery though off of like an iPhone charger. Um, I think I think it shows up as eleven watts. Um, if you want to know if you do have a Mac and you want to know the wattage of the power adapter, if you go into about this Mac and then you go to the system report on the left under the hardware section, you'll see a power uh, part. And if you scroll down there. It will actually tell you uh, what the wattage of the connected charger is, which I think is uh, really cool. So anyway, (laughs) very interesting. Uh, So I guess we'll see Carl with one of those soon. (laughs) So the next thing that we want to talk about was um, CES. Um, I think, you know, I've been to CES. It is, I don't know how to describe it other than, you know, there's this phrase about throwing things at a wall and seeing what sticks. Um, that is like the embodiment of CES, the amount of products there, the amount of space taken up. I mean, you can see anything that will do anything tech wise. Um, and, and much of this stuff doesn't make it to market. If you're talking about kind of the mainstream companies though, you know, they will just show off what's going to basically come out in the next few months. So I think that's, you know, for, for the purpose of this show and for developers, that's probably what's most relevant, but we did want to talk about, you know, some tech that developers, uh, would be interested in. So let's start by talking about laptops. Yeah. I think this is the, like the most common thing that we would be interested in you know, a show like CES Mm -hmm. and like looking at like a lot of what was announced, I I think it was interesting. Some of the trends that we're seeing uh, this year. So the first thing is really kind of, we've had a lot of years where we've been looking at like efficiency, size, weight, Mm -hmm. making sure we conserve those. But there was tons of announcements about 17 inch screens uh, having like NVIDIA 2060 and 2080 <laughs> graphics. Right. Um, and, and like these are devices that they're over five pounds. Some of them were like an inch thick. I mean, obviously there were some that were kind of towards like a more mainstream uh, format. Uh, but, you know, as a whole, it was interesting seeing a lot of people 
or a lot of these new devices being pushed out towards that that larger, more power hungry thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, as developers, it makes a lot of sense because as we're putting new technologies like ML and AI, um, you know, in a laptop, that's most traditional laptops can't really crunch those well. Having you know, an NVIDIA 2080 in there exactly. will definitely help. Will definitely help you with, you know, running those workloads on a dev machine. No, I mean that mean it, it makes the difference between not being able to do it, or you know, or or having the machine run for weeks, versus like actually being able to do some ML training on on your machine. Now, I would keep in mind that I, I assume that. These are the mobile SKUs of those of those graphics cards, and it's Absolutely. a yeah, and it's a little frustrating that they that they Brand use the same, the same yeah that they're the same, you know because you know if I'm talking to a, a developer and I'm like hey I'm gonna run this ML workload and they go oh well what do you have for a GPU oh, I have a 2080 and they go, whoa that's really awesome like you know I don't I don't know what the mobile hit is on that and um, I'm wondering too if it's not really something you can sort of figure out because. You know, it really depends on the thermals of the machine as well. But nonetheless, the graphics in these uh, these laptops are getting far, far better than they've been in the past. NVIDIA has made a lot of strides on lowering power usage uh, for the same amount of performance. Um, so one thing that I've consistently seen is, I mean, their older graphics cards, you know, if you look at the high-end graphics cards, there has been a massive drop in this the, the power requirements. I know some people think they need like a thousand watt power supply or whatever. I mean, it's just simply not true. Um, and, and um, you know, I've looked at the amount of power needed for some of these graphics cards and it's sometimes it's actually worth upgrading. Like if you have a machine that's running 24 seven, it might be worth upgrading just to get the power savings. I mean, that might help pay for a good portion of the card. Yeah. So I have, you know, I look through some of the laptops that were announced and I, I, you know, this was, uh, this was a relatively fast pick that I made, but there were two different, there were two different laptops that I thought were interesting that I would be interested in as a developer. Um, the first one is sort of the, is a little bit lower end choice, but it's the MSI GS 65 stealth. Um, and I think this is interesting because it is a, it's a ultra thin bezel. This is what their marketing has ultra thin bezel gaming laptop. Um, and again, whenever we say gaming, I would translate that to machine learning from a developer standpoint, but you could run games on these as well. Um, so this thing has, um, it's pretty impressive. It's got a, um, 15 inch display. It's a core I seven. It's the eighth gen, uh, 16 gigs of memory, 256 gig SSD. And it says it's VR ready, VR ready, NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1060 graphics. I would say that's really like where VR experiences start. Like you, that's, that's really the bare minimum. Um, but this machine right now it's on sale for 1600 bucks. I mean like, and it comes with, you know, I'm looking at the uh, different uh, screenshots that they give in the gallery here. One yeah. thing that's on here that you you rarely see on a laptop keyboard is per key LED lighting. So they actually show like you can program uh, like each key to be a different color. Yeah. Oh, and then this thing goes flat too. You can push the screen the whole way back, which is kind of cool. So I don't know. I just thought this was like a good overall like thin, light, yet powerful enough for most things laptop. 
Yeah, it, it, I think it's kind of interesting that you bring this up because I remember the first time that I ran across MSI was when uh, the Ultrabooks first came out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the problem with those is those were all a little plasticky, a little thick, and really underpowered. Yeah. And, you know, seeing, you know, this on the opposite end is is really cool to see. Yeah. I would want to see it in, fur, in, in person, obviously. Like, one of my biggest criteria right now is the is the trackpad. Um, that's something that I cannot live with a bad trackpad because part of it is, you know, my, my right wrist gets sore and I, I use my left hand and a bad trackpad. It just makes that non-workable. So the other laptop that I wanted to sort of call out was the Dell XPS 15. And and there's also the XPS 13, uh, which might be a good option as well and probably more comparable to my first pick. But I thought this one was kind of interesting yeah, so the, what? Once again, just kind of you know taking that back yeah. to some of my other observations. You like, even though they are making the you know, like the thirteen inch screens and stuff, they're really calling out the bigger uh, screens in their product lines this year. Absolutely, absolutely. So this one here, this is an impressive machine, eighth gen uh, core i nine, um, up to so the turbo goes up to four point eight gigahertz, and it has six cores. So this is like top of the line laptop processor. Uh, it's got 32 gigs of RAM, which is solid. And this one actually has the 4K, um, they call it Infinity Edge Anti-Reflective Touch Display. So like, boom, 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 everything. Yeah, and the bezels on here are about as thin as they were on that MSI. Yeah, exactly. Um, this one, I, this is this is what I love. This is like, this is like the opposite of Apple. Um, the base model hard drive is a one terabyte PCIe solid state drive. The upgrade is a two terabyte for an extra $400. Um, The wireless, um, this is one thing. I don't know why windows laptops do a bad job in this, but it has, they call it a killer 1535, 802.11 AC, but it's a two by two Wi-Fi. So um, the, the, the MacBooks come with, I think a three by three. And then I think there's some desktops where you can get like a four by four, um, which which really multiplies the the wireless speeds you can get. So that is a little low to me. Um, and then this one has a G uh, a GeForce GTX 1050 Ti. So I don't know if you could do V. I mean, this is really the weak spot on this one is the graphics card. Um, so if you're going to do ML or gaming, I think this one is is a little weak, unfortunately. Um, what, what about AR VR stuff? Because <sighs> you know that that's kind of like the minimum you'd you'd want is something that can support that. I, so here's the thing with windows VR, um, you know, since I have a VR headset, um, whenever you were, there's a little tool that tells you whether or not your machine meets all the requirements. And one of the key requirements that's really difficult to meet is that you need a 1060 or above. So this one has, so a t- this just misses it. It just misses it. But here's the part they don't tell you, even though the tool says, Hey, your computer won't work for VR. Uh, that's a lie. Then you- it'll be suboptimal. Well, no, they, I mean, it, it says that it won't work, but it does yep. work. I mean, it's, it's just a, it's a flat out lie and I'm not sure, I'm not sure why that is. Um, but I, I think since this is a TI, which is, you know, like their higher end, you know, basically is the higher end of the 1050, I bet you performance is probably 90% of what a, what a 1060 is. So you, you, um, you might be fine for VR, you know, I, I would, um, if, if you really want to do VR, I mean, you're going to be scraping by with a 1060 anyway. Like I have a 1070 Ti um, and it does a r- really good job. Like you want to go, this is something you want to go over on, not, not under. So anyway, as this thing is priced, which again, six cores, 32 gigs of Ram, terabyte hard drive, 
Uh, the price, the standard price right now is $2,679. That's not bad. I mean, that's obviously it's, it's a pricey laptop, but you are getting top of the line specs in almost every regard other than GPU. Again, it's not a gaming laptop and you get that, that super thin bezel and they've moved the camera up to the top now, by the way. So you don't get the, you don't get the nose shots. That was a big complaint about the XPS series. And it's 4k. So if you're kind of putting this next to your monitor, um, you know, it's, it's going to dock well with 4k monitors yeah it's gonna look beautiful so you know i'm a couple away i'm a couple of months away from a refresh here this is why i'm particularly interested in this i think i would look i would I definitely, think this might be outside the work budget though um maybe maybe <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe i can pull some strings i don't know and then uh <laughs> i wanted to call out um a beast here uh this is a weird laptop the acer predator triton 900 so this is a $4,000 gaming laptop, and I don't know. You have to look at the pictures of this thing. I don't know what the heck is going on with this. Do you think you can attempt to explain this? <laughs> so a lot of laptops, they have like a hinge right where the screen meets uh, the keyboard, yeah. and it kind of pivots up. Uh, sometimes that hinges a little bit differently. But what this does, it has a hinge that is to a set of arms, and those arms attach midway onto the screen. Yeah. So you can kind of flip and, and position this, and, and they call it four different positions. So it's not like they have like friction on them where you can kind of hold them in a lot, but it can kind of kick up into a, a place where the screen is tilted uh, back, but yet is positioned like right on top of the keyboard. You could position it like a tablet, um, <laughs> like a TV tray, <laughs> like a TV tray. Yeah. It, it, it's just, it, it's kind of gimmicky, but until you get it in person, you, I don't know how useful those gimmicks actually are. Yeah. It is weird that the trackpad is on the right. I think it is. I think it is potentially nice having that screen be closer. So uh, let's stop and, and pause on that sure. trackpad. It's not just on the right. It's vertical. It's in a portrait mode. <laughs> yeah. But, who thought portrait mode? With, with, a, with a landscape screen, they have a portrait mode trackpad. Who thought that was a good idea? I mean, it's it's clearly an afterthought. I think they designed this entire thing and then they were they were like, okay, let's ship it. And they're like, oh, wait, we forgot to put a trackpad on. <laughs> yeah. There's some room over on the right. So the interesting thing here is if you keep scrolling down in the article, they have a, a lower version. So that one's 4K. So this one's uh, $1,800. You don't get the crazy arm thing, and yeah. you get like a standard trackpad in the middle. Yeah. And by default, so that's an RTX 2060 GPU, but you can get a 2080. This is really, I mean, this is crazy. I mean, this is this is clearly like a big trend. The fact that yeah. these like, I mean, that's like the, there is nothing higher than a 2080, right? I don't even know if there's a 2080 TI. So literally like the best graphics cards that are like available, um, you can get in a laptop that is, uh, you know, clearly expensive, but in the realm of high-end laptops is not insane. Yeah. So. Uh, this is the one that's specifically an inch thick and uh, <laughs> the, the higher end one doesn't have a weight to it. If you go down to the lower tier, that one's uh, three quarters of an inch thick and 4.6 pounds. So you're looking at something that's w- probably well north of five pounds. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a tough pill. Like I, I'm, I would be willing to deal with something that's a little bit bigger maybe, but 
but heavier, it, that's a tough pill to swallow for sure. Especially since, um, in many cases, these power adapters are gigantic. Although I did see, I don't remember which one it was, but one of these other laptops, I think it might have been the MSI. Uh, they were actually advertising the fact that they decreased the size of the power adapter by a significant percentage. And like, kudos to them because everybody else hides this. It's like this dirty little secret. Hey, we have a one pound laptop and here's your 10 pound power brick. Uh, it's just, you know, ridiculous. I, I That's why I think... I obviously don't want any like regulation on this or anything, but I wish more companies would just step up and say, here's how much uh, the laptop weighs and here's how much the power brick weighs. Um, okay. So let's talk about some other stuff that was announced. Um, these, uh, how do you say this? Is it in real or in real yeah. light glasses? These things look kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. So to me, like you, you look at like the, the realm of virtual reality and a lot of them are just like these unwieldy bulky devices that make you look really goofy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the HoloLens is interesting because even though you look goofy and they're bulky and big, uh, you can at least walk with them and you know just kind of walk freely because everything's self-contained. Um, and kind of like experiencing that, you know, I came to the independent conclusion that like if you get these down to something that's like a, a format of regular glasses, that's where they'll take off. And I'm not sure if uh, you've ever read the books Damon and Freedom TM by Daniel Suarez. Yep. But they, they've got they've got uh, a technology in there that's pretty much like you can't distinguish them from regular glasses. Mm-hmm. And, and these look like if you take some chunky glasses and make them even chunkier, that's what they look like. So you might yeah. be able to walk by somebody down the street and just be like, "Hey, man, that guy's got some weird glasses." Yeah. And not realize that they're actually using a. a a virtual reality or mixed reality device. Yeah. This to me shows that like these glasses, like, you know, the, the tech keeps improving. Um, I'm just seeing, I'm feeling really good about the trend toward, you know, the, like you were talking about um, having it sort of be invisible um, and they look like regular glasses. We're getting there. And, and what's also cool is that like, these are trying to be a little bit trendy. They come in multiple colors. So you could, you know, uh, you know, match like your personality or style. Yeah, uh, of how you want to look. Uh, it says that they also support prescription lenses. So if you need corrective uh, corrective vision, um, it'll support that. It has dual microphones, stereo speakers, um, so you can listen to Bluetooth. He- uh, you can use them as Bluetooth headphones as well. Um, they have they have buttons on the arms, so you can actually can control uh, several things like volume and brightness mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, so it's it's a really interesting you know you know point in this you know where this technology is headed, and uh, I, I think well we're definitely not going to stop here, or this might not be uh, huge at this point. I think this is definitely one of those uh, uh, devices that push uh, us you know, from where we were into the future with this. Yeah, I agree. This is, we just keep seeing glimpses of the future here. Um, So this next one is really interesting. I didn't think I'd see the day that this happens, but iTunes and AirPlay are popping up on a lot of new devices. Uh, A lot of TVs, Mm -hmm. uh, Android phones, uh, stuff like that now support um, not only iTunes, but uh, communicating over the AirPlay protocols. Now, there is something I feel like I need to explain because 
I don't know, maybe I'm just not as smart as everybody else, but I kept hearing iTunes on TVs. I, I didn't know what that meant. So <laughs> I, I did do a little bit of research. So basically it's, you know, the ability to like buy and, and, and watch like the videos that you purchased through iTunes previously. And I, I don't know, does that, does it, you know, if that covers music as well? I think video yeah, is the key thing. Okay. Video, but you could also do uh, a, Use your Apple Music subscription. Yeah. Because when I first heard about it, I'm like, why would anybody want iTunes? Like, it's this horrible application. But they're really talking about, like, the the Apple TV version of iTunes, if you think of it that way. Um, I did have a question on this. Like, I, you know, so the TV that I have, um, the new model of that that they was, I guess, announced, uh, which is, I don't think, any different than mine, um, it, it says that the new model will come with AirPlay. But... It looked like they have no plans to backport it. Um, that's so frustrating. I mean, they obviously do this on purpose, but why do we never see this tech backported? I, you know, it's it's crazy. Um, and, and maybe maybe it was just an oversight in in what I read. But you know, like my TV runs WebOS, and it's pretty easy to. It should be easy to backport that stuff. Yeah, you know, I wonder how much of it is less a technical reason and more you know consumers just aren't conditioned to especially for TVs yeah to to uh get new features without buying new products i guess but like you know my TV has apps you know the Roku has apps like if all of a sudden iTunes popped up on the Roku as an available like i you know i would get that um and then the other thing is like i have i have some old Sonos gear and i know that you know the Sonos gear you know, there's basically a mini computer in there for, for lack of a better way to explain it. And, uh, you know, the new Sonos devices have airplay support and the old ones don't, um, you know, and I understand they probably, they probably just don't want to write the code for the older devices. Maybe they change the chips or something like that, but, uh, it's just a little frustrating that you can't get the new stuff. Well, especially, uh, since I was reading an article recently, I'm, I'm not sure if I can find it, but it was talking about how, uh, TV manufacturers can now make smart TVs cheaper than dumb panel TVs. You know, okay. a lot of people say they just want a dumb panel TV, but from the insights that they collect and can can use and monetize in whatever ways are actually making those smart TVs cheaper. So you would think that if you could get somebody to use a TV more, you could collect more information and monetize that even more if you could update them and give them more features like this. Yep. Um, and then let's talk about 5G. What's up with yeah. 5G? Well, you know, as looking trend wise at um, CES, there's a lot of talk about 5G, especially ATT was talking about 5G, Verizon was talking about 5G. Um, but there are yet no devices that really supported 5G outside of maybe a couple of weird routers or something like that. Yeah. So, 5G is still one of those technologies that we're hearing more and more about, but it's it's not coming this year. Yeah, I saw I'm actually going to in March, I'm going to be going to Waco and they do have this is this is what was challenging for me. Like it's supposedly 5G. Um, I, 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 I don't know if it's the real 5G or not, because they have you have to use the the night or not Nighthawk um, Netgear. Maybe it is the Nighthawk. Um, they have a, they have a device though, that is, it's like their only 5g device and they have a special plan for it. Um, it was $70 for 15 gigabytes, um, which I don't know, that seems really weird. Like I, 5g is just a whole different beast of a technology, right? I mean, it's, it's really like, this is how you will get your internet. Um, and they're talking about like multi gigabyte speeds, but I don't know, this whole thing is just a mess right now. And I think the message to your average consumer is just 
Just wait. <laughs> Be patient. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't buy into any of the 5G claims at this point. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you're not going to see, like, anything improve right now anyway. So, I mean, you just l- literally wait um, in, until, like, we say, hey, um, there's some new tech that you should jump on. Um, and the phones don't support it and all that good stuff. So, to your average person, it really just doesn't matter. Now, for people who want to, um, you know, do remote work and be able to travel. Um, this will eventually be a game changer, but you know, it's just a little bit early to, to really talk about that yet. Um, and then the last thing for CES was foldable phones, which seems like a terrible idea, but what do you think of this, Carl? So there's kind of two different prototypes that were shown. So the first one that Mm -hmm. we saw kind of just like folded in half, so you kind of get like a tablet size, you know, small yeah. tablet, and it fold down to a large smartphone. And that one looked really clunky. It even had like a piece on the backside that like it was like floppy. And it was just kind of big and bulky. And well, the software looked like it was done well, the hardware was clearly not in a spot where you would want to, you know, show off that device to your friends. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't that awesome. But then – um uh Yesterday or the day before, I ran across this CES announcement from Xiaomi that had this folding phone where instead of just folding in half, um, it was about the same size, but the edges on the, uh, the quarter, like the left quarter and the right quarter folded behind the phone. So you had two uh, pivot points. Uh, but that device is a lot more svelte. It looked a lot more polished. The hinges looked uh a lot more well done. Mm-hmm. And what was kind of interesting is they showed like the video around, like even though the displays were folded around to the backside, it would still keep displaying things. Yeah. Uh, but it looked like a much more polished device. So I, I think that these are going to, are going to be out there sooner than later. And it's not quite, you know, you can't tell from these two devices exactly where that it'll end up, mm-hmm. but it'll be interesting to see, uh, what kind of uh, solutions these are, you know, providing uh, or what kind of problems these are providing solutions for? Yeah, it seems like, I don't know. I, I'm I'm really negative on this and, and maybe I shouldn't be, but I just, I like the fact that my phone is, you know, essentially solid state. There's no moving parts. So unless I smash it and drop it on something like it, there's nothing to wear out. It can scratch, but a scratch isn't wearing out, right? Like the, I'm not going to just have like a hinge fail on me. Yep. Um, you know, and a laptop is different because, you know, you open it once or twice a day at maybe at the most, right? So that's what a thousand opens in a year. The phone, potentially I'm doing it 10 times a day, you know, 20 times a day, maybe more, 50 times. Um, that's a, that's a real problem. But I do like the allure of having essentially a tablet that is always with me, right? I'm on my phone and then I unfold this thing, you know, unfold the screen from around the back and like, boom, I have this tablet. Man, that is a dream, huh? If you if they can yeah, make that happen, because I I'm constantly looking at like the iPad Mini, yeah. Because uh, my kids have them, my wife has them. Uh, I don't have one yet, and like there's things that I want that bigger screen for, and I just can't justify the price. Not to mention the iPad Mini right now is a little bit out of date, so I don't want to buy it. You know, spend you know, you know, however many hundred dollars it is, and then next year a new one to come out. Mm-hmm. Um. But if Apple came out with like, or even an Android device came out that was, you know, could fit both of those needs for me to have an, a solid phone for a daily driver, but those few moments when I need a, a, a nice tablet to not know it's a phone, that would be amazing. 
Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's the dream. And I think that's why they're really pushing toward that. And maybe it would be okay. Like maybe we'd be willing to, to deal with that. Um, you know, if, if, if the price is the same as what we're paying now, um, but if you're avoiding buying that other device, maybe we're okay with it wearing out after a year. I, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Or maybe we just get those sunglasses that project a bigger yeah. target on top of our uh, mobile phones. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, and then, and then you get, you know, you, when the thing is folded up, I mean, the, the one that you were talking about, the Xiaomi phone, like the edges, you know, still can be like lit up so you can display some interesting information there. Um, so I, I think even without unfolding it, I think there's some, some advantages to it. So I'm just, I'm excited that there's a lot of research going into this because, um, this could, this could be revolutionary at some point. Um, okay. Um, actually one, there is one, uh, story that just came in and I will paste it into the show notes that you can take a look at it, Carl. Um, there I paste it at the bottom of the main section. Uh, but, um, this is sort of a small news story, but the, uh, the office apps for Mac are just made it into the app store. And I guess this was announced last year sometime. Um, but they are now in the app store. So I'm going to look. So now if I need PowerPoint, I can just go to the Mac app store, search PowerPoint and get it. Yep. And actually, yeah, I do see they are separate in here, which is really cool. Um, and actually I wonder, oh, this might be a godsend because the, the updater for, uh, the Mac versions of office, um, are horrible. Well, I don't, I don't want to say horrible. It, it's just like, it's kind of like if you've ever used creative cloud and you know how they have like their own stupid updater mechanism. It's like that. Um, so I wouldn't say horrible, but it's like, you know, everybody invents like their own updater things. Um, so this presumably you get your app and then the app store can just update it, which is much more streamlined. And then everything. Well, gets not only that, but, but I mean, you were running into an issue like you were on battery power before mm-hmm. and like, what can I kill? Well, this is something that's sitting in the background that's taking a power processing and it's just one less thing to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. That updater, like it, it pops up and it's funny because the updater checks for updates for itself and for the apps. It's really weird. Sometimes <laughs> what it'll do is it'll say, Hey, there's an update available. So you hit the update. And then the stupid window comes back up and it goes, well, it's like the visual studio install. Yeah. Like, yeah. like you open it up, you want to get the latest, like, Oh, I need to update. Like, just, just do it. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Th- what I'm saying is this one is worse because it pops up. It says there's an update and the update is actually for the updater. And then after the updater updates, then it says there are updates available. And then you have to hit update again. It updates your apps. And then afterward, it like runs like the update process a third time. And it says, Hey, uh, you're up to date. <laughs> It's like, well, I would hope so at this point. So the whole thing is just sort of comical. Like I said, it's not like the worst thing in the world, but it's just, every time it pops up, I'm like, oh, you again. And, and and that's precisely the thing that stores solve. Yeah. They, they get you that, uh, yeah. that technology to do the auto update. So I am happy to see this, man. And not only the Office updates or Office apps in there, it says that, um, so it's Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Outlook, OneNote, and OneDrive are in there, which is um, which is interesting. Um, so yeah, you can purchase them from the store, or you can subscribe to the Office 365 from within the apps as you'd expect. Um, very cool. So anyway, I would uh, I would check that out. Um, that's going to be a much better experience for you. Any final thoughts, Carl? No, I think CES, like from a developer. Perspective, it, you know, there wasn't a lot of like insane. Oh my gosh, 
changes, but there's definitely some really cool trends that are going on, especially mm-hmm. if you're somebody looking for, like, I mean, we're always looking for high-end laptops. You're like, mm-hmm. what's the thing that's better than what I have now? Uh, I know I can't wait for a hardware f- refresh um, just to solve some of the problems I have when I'm developing. So yeah. um, also for those of you who do travel, um, I just can't repeat it enough. Noise-canceling headphones, find a friend who has one, check them out, see where you can borrow one. Um, they are kind of life-changing once you experience it. Exactly. Okay, so where can people find you, Carl? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash techie. So it was great talking to you about all this cool tech, Carl. Yeah, likewise. Likewise.